Thank you very much. Okay, let's continue where we started last week. We're in the middle of the story of Yaakov receiving the blessings from his father Yitzchak, which is the 27th chapter of Breshit. Um, the At this point, Yaakov has, at the uh, insistence of his mother, uh, brought the food to his father Yitzchak and has, is pretending to be Esau. Uh, Esau becomes suspicious, uh, but Yaakov somehow is able to, because he's dressed like Esau, etc., he's able to uh, trick his father and to receive the blessing that Yitzchak had intended to give to Esau. That's as far as we got last week. We'll revisit some of the core questions around the story. But if we start here in the middle of chapter 27, which is chapter 27 in the uh, 30th Pasuk, you have that text with you. Yes, we can post it on Safari for those that don't have it. Chumash. It's chapter 27, verse number 30. It says, So just as Yaakov has left Yitzchak, Yitzchak has finished blessing Yaakov. Um, just as he's, Yaakov's leaving, that's so Yotzo Yaakov, and here's Esau. Esau Achiv Bamit Seido. Esau comes in right after Yaakov leaves, and that reminds us of the, of the tension in the story, among other things, that not only does Yaakov have to get a blessing, but he has to get the blessing before uh, Esau returns, which is another <laughs> complication in the story. In any event, that's what happens, and now Esau has brought his his uh, game, which Yitzchak had instructed him, go to the field, prepare the food for me, and I will bless you. And here's Esau coming in, not knowing that Yaakov has already received the blessing. I'll get to the core questions in a, in a couple of minutes. Read a, read a few verses. It's so Esau says uh, to his father, Yokumavi, my father should st- should stand and bless and and eat of the game of his son, in order that you, you bless me. And um, in other words, he's actually Esau talks in a way more respectfully to ya- to Yisroch and Yaakov does because. Yokuma be his third person. Father should father should sit up. So he talks very respectfully to his father. Um, and um, exactly, he's done exactly what his father has told him to do. So So Yitzhak says to him, Yitzhak, his father says, Who are you? That is to say, He's assuming up to this point that the one who came before was Esau. So now the question is, who are you? Because Esau already came. Um, so, so who are you? Ayomer, Ani bincha b'charchai Esau. I am your son, your eldest son, Esau. Notice, and I mentioned this last week, that when Esau says to his father, I'm Esau, the Torah uses the word Ani. When Yaakov is asked, who are you? He says, Anochi, 
Esav Bechorecha. The Anochi is the emphatic, I am Esav, suggesting there might be some doubt as to who he actually is. So Yaakov is perhaps uncomfortable, well, he's certainly uncomfortable in the situation in which he finds himself. But Esav says, I'm Esav, just as you said. And he Esav, and he And now we have Yitzchak's response. So Yitzchak, Vayecherad, I would translate as trembled. If they translate, Isaac was seized with a violent trembling. I think that's on, that's an accurate translation. And that Yitzchak says, if so, so Isaac is trembling with a violent trembling. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate of it before you came and I blessed him. And here they say, now he must remain blessed. I think that's actually questionable translation. Um, now he must remain blessed. He's, we, the two ways to go with this, I think. The Ramban already, why would he say, in fact, he's blessed? I mean, if he's trying to, sees that Esau is very bothered by this, but it, it, means, it means one of two things. Either it means, who's the one who came to me and succeeded in me having blessed him? In other words, it's part of the, it's not necessarily an affirmation of the blessing, but he's saying, if you are Esau, then who came before? Who came and did exactly as I told you to do? And in fact, I did bless him. That's one way to go. Similar to he must remain blessed, but less of an emphasis on that. But the other way, and this is actually a very important point, Ramban says, maybe it means something else. Could mean, and in fact, he received the blessing. That is to say <coughs> that if I, if I blessed him, he in fact remains blessed. In other words, the blessing is taking effect. It's a very fundamental question. If the blessing was given under false pretenses, then why is the blessing a valid blessing? That's a good question. But what, what Yitzhak seems to be affirming over here, however we understand it, is that in fact, I blessed him. It's, it's, and since I blessed him, it's not a blessing I can take back. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this point later. So those are two possibilities. But in fact, he's blessed, and it's a fait accompli. So who was who was that person? So when Kishmoa, Kishmoa Esav, um, Kishmoa Esav and When Esav heard. Uh, what his father said, he cried out with a with a great and bitter cry. Notice that the responses of Esav and Yitzhak are described in similar fashion. They are very extreme responses. The Torah uses in each case the same term Admaod. In the case of Yitzhak, it's a trembling. Some translate as a as a bewilderment, but the term the Torah uses is. Generally speaking, means fear. That's his response. Esav has a different response, a, a 
a bitter cry. He said to his father, Father, bless me also. So Esav, the blessing of his father is very important. He's deeply connected to his father as we saw, says he naming in the first verse. And somehow someone has supplanted, supplanted him. Father is suggesting maybe he's lost his blessings. Or he says, okay, bless me as well. Bless me as well. Whoever came first. And now we have Isaac's response. Rabbi? Yes. May I just ask one question? In both the case with Jacob and with Esau, the first thing that's mentioned is the food and then the blessing. What, you know, um, I ate and then I blessed him here. Um, and then with uh, Esau, before you came, uh, hunted game and brought it to me, and then uh, the blessing. Why is this uh, meal have, it's mentioned before the blessing. Why is, why is that coming first? So I discussed last week two possibilities. Oh, okay. It's not mutually exclusive about the significance of the food, the meal. Uh, one of them had to do with the, the fact that for, for the, the food, which is essentially go out to the field and bring back, bring back sort of blessing from the field, which is what Asaph does, that is for Yitzhak something very significant. In fact, when he smells the garment of Asaph, which Yaakov is wearing, he says, he says that I smell the, the field. For Yitzchak, more than anybody else, is a connection to, to the actual field. That's what Yitzchak does. He goes out to the field, he plants Yitzchak, he reaps a hundredfold in the field. He digs wells. So the very earth itself for Yitzchak is a connection to the earth that nobody else has in sacred creation. But Yitzchak has that connection to the actual earth. So the blessing should take effect. He wants the blessing to the, the, the things you bring from the field reinforce in his mind what the blessing is all about. So that it's the connection path. to the land then? Yeah, the actual physical the land, land the which time. is the source of blessing. That was one right. path. Thank you. The second path I mentioned what Devorah had written about many years ago, that the, that the, the food over here in, in chapter 27, which is the transfer story from Yitzhak to one of his sons, and of course is deeply connected to the first transfer story of the Akedah, the transfer of the blessing from to Avram and, and then to Yitzchak, giving of the blessing to Yitzchak, right? That in each of those two cases, in the first instance, what makes that possible is the sacrifice. And in this case, the food, the game that is hunted it's not an actual sacrifice, but it has a sacrificial cast to it. Now, why you need the sacrifice in order to transfer the blessing? So I mentioned our suggestion that it's a way to deflect the violence. Because in, in transferring the blessing from, in the case of the Torah, father to son, there's an inherent violence because, in fact, the son displaces the father. Once it transfers to the son, you don't need the father anymore. So there's a tension between father and son when it comes to the blessing. And one way to deal with the tension is to have some kind of scapegoat, some object upon which the violence is, is, uh, is uh, deflected. 
Thank that you. was her suggestion. And she tries to play that out and say for Bray Sheets, very interesting idea. Um, so those are two possibilities, but it is you call our, our attention to the fact that yes, there's a tremendous emphasis here on the, on, on the food, on the game, on, on the animals that are, right? Because yeah. the animals that Jacob brings to his mother, Rivka, the two goats, which he's going to prepare. So she's going to slaughter the goats or, and prepare the food. So the food is, is the, the medium of blessing is actually the food. The food is necessary for the blessing to be transferred in this case, from the father to the son. So Esau is extremely upset. He cries with a great and bitter cry. And now, yeah, now Yitzchak responds. So Isaac says to Esau, your brother came and they translated with guile. I would say with deception and took your blessing. Rashi, of course, the defense attorney of Yaakov in the story and the prosecuting attorney of Esau cites the Targum, the Mirma says Rashi Bechachma with wisdom. And it is true that in perhaps in the book of Proverbs, the word Mirma sometimes can have a positive cast to it, but it's not true that in the Torah, Mirma has a positive cast to it. It's a very negative word. It means deception, and it's a big negative. So Yitzhak doesn't mince any words. Your brother came in, in deceit and took your blessing, which is a way of saying, I've already given away your blessing. He says, bless me too, Father. Your blessing has been given away. Yes, it was taken with deceit. On the other hand, Yitzhak says, but the blessing was a valid blessing. The blessing took effect. We'll get back to that question and the nature of the blessing very soon. And now, Ace of Comments, Vayomer, Hachi Karashimo Yaakov. He says, Is that the reason he was called Jacob? He was named Jacob Yaakov. Vayakveni Zepamayim. He has Vayakveni, I would say, he had circumvented me twice. A cove is something which is, which is not straight. Or Yohei Alkov, the crooked shall become straight, or the circuitous shall become straight. He circumvented me twice. Supplanted me, translates, supplanted me twice. It's also a possibility. At Bechorati Lokach, he took my birthright. And now he took my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Now let's just think about this first for a moment. We'll come back to all the bigger questions, but the point is, he says he did two things. He took my birthright, and now he took the blessing. Now, when it comes to the birthright, did he actually take the birthright from Esau? Well, in chapter 25, Esau comes back from the field and he's tired. Yosef Yaakov Nazi, back in chapter 25, let's find that verse for a second, 25, verse number... Um, beginning in verse number 20, uh, 29, chapter 25, verse 20, verse 20 to 29 to 28, 
29, verse 29, says that, um, chapter 25, verse 29, yes, we scroll back to that. It says that Yaakov prepared, Vayazid Yaakov Nazid, Nazidim Oventos. Vayazid is the verbal form, he lentiled lentils, means he cooked lentils. And Asaph came back from the field, he was tired, Wayev. And Asaph says to Yaakov, this is pour that hawitani means stuff down that that red stuff for I am tired. So he's requesting the food, he puts it in an inelegant fashion, hawitani na, and therefore he's called Edom. And Yaakov says to Esau, we sell me your birthright. And Esav said, I'm going to die, which could mean I'm going to die of hunger now, or it could mean I'm, I'm a mortal being. I'm going to die in the future. Who cares about birthrights? I care about the food. Not about what happens in the future. I live for the moment. I need the food now. Swear, says Yaakov. Swear. And Esav swore. So he sold the birthright to Jacob. And then it says, Yaakov gave Esau bread and lentils. He ate, drank, got up and left. So Esau spurned or squandered the birthright. So now Esau says, he circumvented me twice. He took my birthright, and now he took my, my blessing. But did he actually take the birthright? It sounds like a legitimate sale. It's a, it sounds like a legitimate sale. In fact, not only a legitimate sale in terms of he sold it to him, but it also says that he swore. We know that when you take an oath in the Bible, that's it. There's no way to retract that. So what does it mean to say? And in point of fact, one could make the argument that when Esav approaches his father, Anochi Esav Bechorecha, there is some justification in the sense he is the firstborn. After all, Esav was summoned because he's Beno HaGadol, the, the bigger one, perhaps the older one. But in point of fact, that privilege has been transferred to Yaakov. So the Torah raises this as a possibility, not to fully justify necessarily what Yaakov does, but it's another factor in the story. On the other hand, as we studied, Bayazid uh, Yaakov Nazid, which plays on the Hebrew word Mezid, which means intention. In other words, it's not an accident that he happens to be preparing supper when Esau comes from the field. It's not a shogeg, it's amazing. It's intentional. He knows exactly when Esau comes back. He knows exactly that Esau will be tired. He knows the personality of Esau. He knows that Esau will give up the future for the present. So yes. It is legitimate. It's, you know, it's a, it's a valid sale. On the other hand, it's devious. And he tricks might be the wrong word, but he takes advantage of Aesop's vulnerabilities. What's interesting about that little vignette is that in that little vignette of the sale of the birthright, there's so much there. Because on one hand, Yaakov acts one could say in a very deceptive way, 
taking advantage of the other person's weaknesses to secure this birthright. And the reader doesn't know yet what the value of this birthright is. But when you reach our chapter, chapter 27, one gets the impression that Yaakov having the birthright is a way to justify him taking the blessing, which is what Asaph seems to say. He circumvented me twice. In other words, now I understand his desire to get the birthright. The desire to get the birthright was to set up the blessing, which is certainly deceptive. So in other words, the first thing leads to the second. Perhaps that's what Asaph is saying. On the other hand, the description of Asaph in those few verses is very striking. Apart from the fact that the Torah says, Vayivez Esav Vayivez, he spurned, he thought lightly of, he, he didn't care about the birthright. Vayivez is always a negative word. But apart from that, the very description of Esav, the way he talks, how he pour that red stuff down my gullet. There's something very crude about Esav. He is a hunter which from the standpoint of the Chumash is a negative. So the description of Esau is negative. It adds a lot of color to the story. There's nobody, it's not a matter of one is pure and one is evil. There's no evil and there's no pure. There's complications on all sides. It's the beauty of the story. So in any event, what Esau says is, that's why they called him Yaakov. By Yaakovini Zepamayim. So there's, and, and Isaac has already said, your brother came to Mirma, which is certainly a negative, Rashi notwithstanding. Your brother came with guile, with deceit, took your blessing, and there's little I can do. It reminds us of chapter 25 in the sense there too, there's a sale and there's an oath. So it's, 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 a, it's a final sale. You can't get anything, you can't change that. But Asaph perhaps is suggesting the reason for Yaakov's interest in the birthright is he's setting up the possibility of other benefits, one of which we read about in chapter 27. So Esau says to his father, don't you have a blessing for me? Hello, what's out of the word Esau? Isn't there something left to give me? And Yitzchak responds and says to Esau, back to chapter 27, in verse 37, I made him your superior, your master, your gavir. And I gave, made all his brothers. He only has one brother, but it probably sometimes the word ach means the family members. I made him the chief of the family. The others are his servants. And I sustained him with grain and with wine. And for you, therefore, what can I do for you, my son? One gets the sense over here. Esau, yeah, Yisrael loves Esau. That's clear. He loves Esau. But he's, he's, what can I do, he says. He's trying to figure out a way to help Esau out. But he can't figure out the way. Because I've already given away your blessing. My son, he says, what can I do for you? And Esau's response Father, do you have only one blessing? Bless me also, Father. And Esau raised his voice. He cried out loud. And now Yitzhak will find a way to give Esau a blessing. 
before I take, I'll stop in a moment to take some comments and get to what the core question that I wanted to deal with, uh, one of the core questions I want to deal with. They make a different point about the story though. And that is what's very important when we study any story, certainly true of the Chumash, is the position of the one telling the story. There's somebody telling us the story of they like to call today the implied author. What is the attitude of the storyteller over here? And it strikes me that when you read this story, minus the apologetics, there's a history of apologetics around the story. When you read the story, it strikes me that the narrator called the Torah goes out of its way to present Asav in a very sympathetic light. Yes, he does foolish things. Yes, he does, but for the moment, but there's something about the story over here, about Asav and Yitzchak also. These are two people in a lot of pain because there's a deep connection between them. And Yitzchak is trying to find some way to help his son. And the description of Asav and his bitter cries and his critique of Yaakov, which is certainly on target. And finally, he, he cries once again, the reader can't help, I think, but be sympathetic to the Asav of chapter 27. And that's a very important point. So that does not necessarily mean that the blessing should not be given to Yaakov. That's a separate question. And it might depend what blessing we're talking about, which we'll get to in a minute. But we have to always look at the sympathy of the, of, of the narrator. And especially the sympathy of the narrator is in this case with, with, with Asa. It's very interesting to note and the reason the story is so important, of course, is this probably is the most, this is the significant story which sets the trajectory for Yaakov's entire life. His entire life, you can see in this story over here. He's gonna be forced to run away. He's gonna build a family in a way that reminds us very much of the conflict with his own brother and the conflicts within Yaakov's own family constantly recalling the story of Yaakov and Esau, et cetera. This is a foundational story. And it also foundational in the sense that it sets up Esau or reinforces the idea that Esau and Yaakov will be eternal enemies on some level. And the main character in the Bible, that is Israel's primary enemy, also God's primary enemy, is of course Amalek, and the Amalek story comes out of the story of Yaakov and Esau. I'll come back to that later, but I'll make one simple point. And in the Megillah, for example, when the decree against the Jews is, has been publicized at the instigation of the Agagite, Haman, the Amalekite, Amalek being Esau's grandson. And Mordechai goes in chapter four in the great chapter of the Megillah, and he cries out with a great and bitter cry. The only other time we find that expression is right here in our chapter. So you have, a, a, one might say, a retelling of the story of Yaakov and Esau, Haman being Esau's descendant from Mordechai Hayyuhudi. So this, this story is constantly being played off and played, played out in a whole variety of ways. Now, be, before I stop for a moment to take comments or questions, 
What we'll do after the comments and questions is deal with last week. So Tova raised several important points at the end of last week. I said I'd deal with it this week. And I want to get to the central question, which is exactly what Yitzhak was thinking and the nature of the blessing that Yitzhak has conferred upon Yaakov and is about to confer upon Esau in, 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 in a sense as well. And how is, is, what is the nature of that blessing? Now, that's a very central question. It touches on the question of, was Yitzchak simply mistaken? Or does Yitzchak have something else in mind and the mistake is more on the part of, of, of Rivka? So I'll, I'll get to that question shortly. Before I get there, does anybody have any comments or questions at this point? Can I ask a question, please? Yes, of course. Um, can you can you explain the whole the whole concept of bchora? What is it? What is it altogether? Concept of what? Bchora. That's a good question. So. Bchora. Yes, bchora. What, so is, the it? Point what is, is it? For right. God's sake, so to speak. Well, it, it, I would say in the in the within the Tanakh there are two points. First of all, the bchor in the book of Devarim gets an additional portion, not just in the book of Devarim, by the way, but even in the book of Breshit. Because at the end of the day, in the case, for example, of Yaakov, who has 12 sons, but one of the sons is the Bechor, and that son should get an additional, an additional benefit. The oldest son is Ruvain, but when Yaakov blesses his children, the first, Ruvain is the oldest, Ruvain Bechoriata, you're the Bechor, Right? Yeter seit, yeter ads. Pachas kamayim al totar. You don't get the extra. You're too quick. You're too thoughtless al totar. You don't get the extra portion. So who does get the extra portion of Yaakov's 12 sons? Who gets the extra portion? It's not Ruvain, the eldest of Leah. So the one that gets the extra portion is Yosef, the eldest of Rachel. How does Joseph get the extra portion? Answer, there are two tribes. Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim and Menashe. So Joseph gets two, gets two portions, which is how they understand, right? Pishtayim. That's how the rabbinic tradition understood the psukim in Dvarim. And it accords well with, with Sefer Breshit. You get, if there are four brothers, let's say, one is the firstborn, it's divided into five pieces. The firstborn gets two and the others get one. That's what you have. So, so point number one is that the Bechor, it would appear in the classical text of the Torah, has some financial benefit, is accorded some financial benefit. Then we know that in terms of things like succession, kingship, for example, kingship typically goes to the oldest son. If there's more than one, barring some, you know, in the case of David, for example, Amnon would have been the su su successor to David and he gets killed by his rival. But the point is that that's another point. Then we have the Bechor in the land of Egypt, right? Makat Bechorot. That somehow the Bechor initially, before they're supplanted by the Levim, the Bechor has certain privileges when it comes to perhaps ritual matters. Given the fact that the Levim take the place of the Bechor, looking backwards at it, we, we should say to ourselves, whatever, whatever the Levim presently do in the Torah, the Bechor once did. So one way to figure out what the privilege of the Bechor would be in the area of ritual, etc., was to look at the Levian, Shevet Levi, 
or, or maybe the kahun is part of it as well. Kohen is also a baby. Looking backwards at it, that the rabbinic tradition does, it says, probably the initial things the Kohanim did before the were Kohanim, the, the Bukhar did. So those are three areas in which the Bukhar has some primacy. But in our story, in any event, it seems to be significant about the Torah emphasizes yet Yitzchak does love Esav. And we talked about that. But part of what factors in the story, and the Torah makes this clear, he's the older one, the bigger one. Yes, they're born about three minutes apart, but, but in the story, he's called he's technically the firstborn, and Yaakov seems to accept it on some level, perhaps, because he purchases the birthright. He understands that minimally from Esau's perspective, Esau is the Bechar. Whatever Yaakov really thinks was the struggling at birth. Yaakov was trying to hold him back, one might say. Yaakov was trying to emerge first. So that struggle which takes place as they're being born is one that continues afterwards. But apparently it is important for Yaakov to purchase that birthright, to give him certain privileges. And the story in which it plays out, and the only story in which it plays out, is our chapter 27, where Esau describes himself, which would mean, of course, I'm here to get the, the blessing. I'm the Bechor. But the, the Torah raises the question without resolving it, is that really the case? Because after all, you sold your, you sold your rights. So that's another example of my, my point over here, apart from trying to understand details of the story, what's really, I think, very important is to appreciate the complexity of the story. Now, when you deal with, 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 with law, typically it's not that complicated. You have a chicken, there are two possibilities. It's kosher or it's not kosher. There's no half kosher. Chickens are kosher or not kosher. Human beings, there are 500 possibilities. Nobody's kosher. And few people are not kosher either. We're all somewhere in between. It's very complicated. He ever stood with so many different pieces to it. There's the fact that Rebecca got the oracle. There's the fact that the oracle itself was somewhat ambiguous. There's the question, who was the firstborn? There's the question, which of these two children is the natural, should be the natural recipient of the blessing? Which of course, the real question is, what is the blessing? And I'll come to that question that was raised last week very soon. Yes, Susie, you wanna say something? Yes, please. Isn't it possible that Rivka really misjudged how much Esau, how much Yitzchak, how well Yitzchak knows his children because he loves Esau, but thinking when it was really Yaakov, he gives him the bracha of power and wealth, but he doesn't give him the covenantal blessing, what you call it. He doesn't give and him- that we'll talk about. That's what I want to speak about. That was Tolly's question last week. Now, second person, Susie has the same question. Um, yeah, it's only right. a possibility. I will, I'll try to lay out the two possibilities in reading the story. I have- uh, Yes, I, I will do that. It's very set, that's, that's the central question in the story. I'll, I'll get to that question momentarily. Yes, Aviva. I, yes, my comment is not about the central question, but about Yaakov, Ekev, and deception. Yes, and I just, no, I just noticed um, three um, places where Yaakov is, um, so that Esau in um, line 36 says, yeah, who Yaakveni. That's right. And then um, in 25, 25, 
וידו אוחזת בעקב. Yes. And in Breshit Gimel 15, when God curses the snake, he says, אתה תשופנו עקב. Yes. So it, it's the word עקב, yes. that is the name of Yaakov, is connected yes. with deception and with the snake. So that is my observation. Yes. So I have spoken about that many times, mm-hmm. but there's more to say about that. There's more to say about that because the point is that, again, our, there's no apologetics here. The snake bites you with the Egev. And the, the point, you have to understand what is the Egev. I mean, you have it with the Greeks, Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. The Egev is the point of weakness. That's how the snake operates. The snake looks for vulnerabilities and attacks you at the weakest point, takes advantage of, of, of weakness. And the people that do that in the Bible are called Amalek. That's what Amalek always does. They come and attack you at the weakest point and different kinds of weakness. There could be physical weakness, as the Torah describes in Devarim. They attack the stragglers. It could be a spiritual weakness, We first encounter Amalek in chapter 17 of Shemot. Ayesh Hashem b'kirbenu l'mai, and the people say in the desert, is God with us or not? Ayovu Amalek. It could be that Amalek, even if they don't attack you, they expose someone's weakness. That's the story of King Saul. That's the downfall of King Saul, which is brought to the fore by Amalek. That's the story of Megillah Esther with Haman. The Jews, it says, Haman are mufuzaru mufarad ben ha'amin. scattered and dispersed amongst the nations. It means they don't have any nation of their own, don't have their own state. They're simply scattered and dispersed amongst the nations. And they're an easy target, he says. It's not even worthwhile keeping them alive. They, have, they can't defend themselves. They have no central space. They have no central army. They can't defend themselves. So we can, we can kill them. You know, we, can, we can kill them. And... Um, I forget who it was that someone, one of the Israeli generals, once asked them the difference between the Jews in Europe and the Jews in Israel. His answer was about 4,000 tanks. That was his answer. I didn't forget that. Be able to defend yourself. That's very important to be able to defend yourself. And the fact is, that's Amalek. Amalek attacks you with the weakest point and that's the snake. So you're 100% right. And actually, The Torah is going out of its way, and we'll see this later in spades. The Torah goes out of its way to describe Yaakov as the snake. When you stand in front of a blind person and trick a blind person, there's no better example. There's no more Amalekite behavior possible than tricking someone who can't see. It's indefensible, really. Now... It's defensible in the sense, one might say the, the ends justify the means, maybe. But in point of fact, that's the point of the story. Even if you believe, and it could be true, that this blessing, as Rivka says, Yaakov, this blessing you have to get, inappropriate phrase of it's right for you, which could well be the pshat, but there's always a price to pay for the way you get it. And the fact is, and this is a very important point, that it's not just about getting a good result, but the way that you get there is very important. That's a critical point in all aspects of life. It's not just the end. How did you get to this point? 
And the Torah is very concerned about that. And the price Yaakov has to pay for this is extreme. And the point, the larger point, of course, is that for Yaakov to actually return, he has to, he has to be transformed. He has to change himself into becoming a different person, which he does. Because Yisrael and Yaakov, as the Ramban very beautifully points out, are actually opposites. Because Yisrael can be read as Yashar'el, direct, straight. And Yaakov is Akol, Akol Mishar. In fact, in the book of Dvarim, as I mentioned many times, I think it's in the Ramban as well, Israel is not called only Yisrael, they're called Yeshurun. And Yeshurun from the word Yashar. Yeshurun is not a new name. Yeshurun is Yisrael. So the point, what the Torah is setting up over here is Yaakov's amazing transformation. Transforms himself, actually. And that's the greatness of Yaakov. But unless you appreciate the Akov and the Nachash and the Akev, uh, you can't appreciate the greatness of Yaakov. You also can't appreciate the Chumash. So this is a story of extreme complexity. And that's what makes it a great story. That's what makes the Chumash so special. You reduce it to just black and white, and what you have is Torah tales or something like that. Yes, anything else? Yes, Rabbi, yes. Um, sorry, uh, Rabbi Silver. There's just a few questions in the chat um, yep. that I don't want. I you know don't want to get uh, lost in the shuffle. Um, hmm. From we'll take five more minutes on questions, then I got to want to get to the main point that I want to. All right. About. Then um, from Laszlo Marcus. How come Esau is so disturbed now, but earlier he had contempt for the right of the firstborn? Because the point is, first of all, he doesn't necessarily connect the rights of the firstborn to this particular blessing. He may connect it to other things. Second of all, because when you live in the moment, you're thinking about the moment. He's not thinking about the future. He's thinking what he's, he lives it for the moment. The moment is the bowl of soup. Now, the, 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 the question is, this touches on the question we'll get to in one minute, which is, what is the blessing we're talking about? That was, that's the core question in the chapter. And there are two ways to understand this chapter. I'm not going to resolve it, but there are two different approaches. Yes, um, who else had a question here? Sandra, yes? Yeah. Okay. Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Um, so my question is this. You touched on it, and I presume you're going to touch on it again and again um, in, uh, just a few minutes ago about whether or not um, if a blessing is given and the recipient uh, wasn't the person you intended to give it to, does the blessing uh, still have legitimacy? And, that, and that's right. the whole point of the conversation and the misery between Isaac and, and Asaph. But shouldn't there also be a harking forward and a harking backward to when um, uh, Lavan ends up obviously hoisting Jacob with his own petard and tricking him and switching the, 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 the brides. And in the morning, it, it reminds me so much of this scene in the morning, Jacob says, oh my God, Baboker, it says, the narrator says, Baboker vehine he lea. So I always thought to myself, huh, if he married a person whom he thought was one woman, and of course, after the prima nocte, he sees that it was another woman so the question is the same. I, I always thought it's, it, it touched on this. Is the blessing, is the marriage legit anyway? And, I, and I, I'm wondering, and of course it, 
deals with deception and it deals with Jacob and this is the price he's paying and it's going to come back and bite him and bite him and bite him again and again. But this is something that's sort of an overlying question that I have too. So if in fact the blessing is or isn't legitimate, does this also um, touch on what's coming, which is that the marriage should or should not the marriage. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait till we get to that story. It's a good question. We'll just have to wait till we... Again, there's a complexity over there, but we'll wait till we get to that. The plan is to get there. We'll see, but we're going right. to proceed through. But we hope to reserve that. Thank I'll you. Take one or two more questions and we'll stop. Suri, what do you want to say? Okay. Yes, Suri? Um, I think, can you hear me? Yes. Can, yes, okay. I think that the, ch the choice of the words, hello, atzalta li bracha, is very uh, deliberate and telling because. Atzalta, um, at least the one other time that I know that it's used, connotes that it can be shared, but on a slightly lower level. So I'm referring to the Eldad and Medad story, yes. where Moshe sails by So Moshe is able to share his divine connection, his ability, his nevuah ability. Um, with the other Shivim's Kenim without right. it detracting from its own. But at the same time, we know the Torah says there never was anyone like Moshe. So the right. other Shivim have it, but they have it on a slightly lower level. And the word Atsalta here, maybe the narrator is hinting that yes, it will be able to be shared, but it won't be the primary bracha. There will be a bracha for Esau. So let me deal with this right now. This core question, and then we'll take at the end more questions at this time. Um, there are two basic approaches to reading the story over here. One approach is that, let me start with, 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 the, with the one approach I did not raise last week. Here's the, the following possibility, namely that what Yitzhak intends, the blessing Yitzhak intends to give to one of his sons, Tesa, is not what we call the blessing of Abraham. It's a different blessing. The blessing of Abraham is about the land. It's a spiritual blessing. It's about um, the land of your sojourning. It's about this special place. It's about being in having a connection to God and being worthy of it through your uh, moral behavior. That's not what Yitzhak has in mind. There are two different blessings. The blessing over here is simply a record a, this wouldn't be my formulation of it, but a material blessing. And that blessing, Yitzhak intends to give to Esau. Yitzhak does not intend to give to Esau the other blessing, which, which we would call the blessing of Abraham. And Rebecca, if this, according to this interpretation, Rebecca mis misunderstands this. Rivka thinks that Yitzhak intends to give Esau Abraham's blessing a blessing for which Esau is inappropriate, having married two Canaanite women. We are told that at the end of the previous chapter. Um, and she misunderstands that. She thinks that uh, Yitzhak has that in mind. In fact, when Yitzhak speaks to Esau, he says, I will bless you before I die. But when Rivka repeats what Yitzhak said, she says, I will bless you before God before I die. So that's one way to understand it. And he's not making a mistake. He understands his children. Esau is the Ishsadeh. Esau is, he loves him. He's also the older one. Thinks it's an appropriate blessing for Esau. 
And Rivka made the mistake. That's, that's an approach one could take. And in point of fact, when you get to the next chapter, chapter 28, after Rivka inter, inter, intervenes, we'll hopefully get there next week, if you don't get there this week, and she calls, and Yisrael causing Yaakov in the beginning of chapter 28. He says, after Rivka says at the end of 27, I can't take these Canaanite women. If Yaakov will marry Canaanite women, why do I live? And Yisrael calls in Yaakov, until he gives him a bracha. And he commands him, the, the language of mitzvah, the language of bracha. It says, you are forbidden to marry a Canaanite woman. And then he continues with this Yitzchak. So when Yitzchak speaks to Yaakov in chapter 28, and the, all the language he uses is language to run directly from what God said to Abraham in chapter 17. Kahal Amin, El Shaddai is the language of the beginning of 17, and God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you with the blessing of Abraham, blessing of the land, blessing between me and you. And it's called Birkat Abraham. So one line of, one line of thought is that, this is a line of thought, Yitzchak did not make a mistake. Yitzchak was going to give of the other blessing, the blessing of Tawa Shemayim, Shmanu Yaretz, but reserved, he wasn't going to give of the blessing of Birkat Abraham. We don't know what he had in mind for Birkat Abraham, but it wasn't going to go to Esau. That's a way to read the, that's a way to read the story. And when Esau says to Yaakov, to his father, father, do you have only one blessing, right? Don't you have another blessing? And it sounds like he doesn't have another blessing, but what, the, what that would mean according to this interpretation is, I may have another blessing, but it's not relevant to you. As far as you're concerned, there is one blessing. This is a fundamentally an approach that one can take in reading the story. That's a possibility. That's not the approach I suggested last week, but it's certainly a possibility. We have to keep that in mind, okay? That's an approach. That's what Tova was raising last week. Maybe he didn't make a mistake. He knows Asaph. He's connected to Asaph. He loves Asaph. Well, that's true. So this is one way to read the story. Two separate blessings, and the mistake would be then Rifka's error. Rifka made a mistake in terms of how she understands Yitzchak, what she thinks Yitzchak might do. That's on one possibility. On the other side, the other possibility, which I mentioned last week, is different. And the other possibility is that, no, Rivka's not wrong in terms of who should get the blessing. She, as far as Yitzchak is concerned, is one blessing. He knows he has a blessing, and he wants to bless his child, namely Esau, the older one. The problem is that Yitzhak himself doesn't understand the very blessing that he has. He wants to bless, but he's not fully aware of the nature of the blessing. And what led us in this direction was, I had mentioned Boris's point about the language of the blessing. That the language of the Akedah, the command to Abraham at the Akedah was kach and that Rivka uses that language when she speaks to Yaakov, Kach and Lech, Yisrael does not. 
So the fact that he uses different language could suggest to us he doesn't actually fully comprehend the blessing that he has. In addition to that, in addition to that, we have to remember that in the story, Yitzchak has to be reminded about the Canaanite women by Rivka. At the very end of chapter 27, Rivka goes to Yitzchak in the last verse of chapter 27. Take a look at the last verse of chapter 27. It says, I, I'm disgusted with my life because of the Hittite women. Those are the ones that Esau married. If Yaakov will marry Canaanite women, Hittites or Canaanites, why do I live? What's the point? Her point being, she sees herself as one who is there to allow Abraham's covenant to pass to the next generation. But if he'll marry the Canaanite women, so there'll be Canaanites on all sides. So the blessing won't be able to take effect. And then Yitzchak, only when Rivka intervenes, then he calls in Yaakov and he blesses by Yivarech. And then he gives the blessing. Here he fully knows it's Yaakov. It's not a question, who is he? Here he knows it's Yaakov. And here he talks about the blessing of Abraham. And here he uses all the language of the blessing of Abraham. So this is a different approach. This approach suggests there's only one blessing. And that in fact, Yitzchak initially misunderstands the blessing, and yet Yitzchak reformulates the blessing in chapter 28, but there's one blessing that he has. His blessing is the blessing given to him by his father, Abraham. Those are two different ways to read the story. You can choose which one you wish, obviously, but the point of the Kach Valeich is interesting because, now, one could say, that the Kach Valeich is present only in chapter 28, because only in chapter 28 is he actually recalling Abraham's blessing. That's certainly a possible way to read it. But in point of fact, this distinction between these two blessings, or sometimes they call the material blessing, and sometimes they call the spiritual blessing, I wonder about that in general, whether that distinction is, is really a distinction that Torah draws between spiritual blessings and material blessings. I doubt very much that Yitzchok sees the blessing of the land as a so-called material blessing. That's not the way he talks. God has blessed. For Yitzchok, God's blessing is through the land. His whole life is about connecting to God through the land. And Vayivarcheu Hashem. For Yitzhak, the last thing Yitzhak would consider is the possibility there's a spiritual thing, then there's the earth and the land. No, quite the opposite. For Yitzhak, it's the very earth itself, it's the sacred land, even more than the sacred space, the sacred land for Yitzhak. So that distinction of material and spiritual, I don't think is one that Yitzhak Avinu buys into, quite, quite the opposite. The other piece of the other interpretation about, and we focused on the point about the language of the blessing, is that in any event, however we see it, um, we remember that in the story over here, we have the Hineni word, which is the way the Akedah begins. In the Akedah, it's God who commands Abraham. And it's Abraham who says Hineni. In the story over here, what's missing in chapter 
In this story over here is, 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 is Hineni. The one who says Hineni is Esau. Esau is very willing to do anything to secure his father's blessing. Esau loves his father. His father loves him. And he wants to secure that blessing. And when he's summoned by his father, he says Hineni. Yaakov has not said Hineni. Yaakov said quite the opposite. He says to his mother, maybe it's not worth the risk. That's not Hineni thinking. Hineni thinking means I'll do whatever you want, whatever it entails. So that's an important point for the story. It underscores the significance of the Kach But in general, these are the two approaches. I will say that having to choose between the two of them, one of the things I think about is, in one approach, it's Rebecca made a mistake. In the other approach, she's, she's right. And it strikes me that yes, Rebecca is manipulative. Yes, she's love on the sister. Yes, she's deceptive. Yes, she doesn't seem to care so much how you get to the good end as long as you get there. That's all true. But one thing about Rivka is, and this is throughout, she's extraordinarily perceptive. When she's returning home, she sees Isaac in the field. He sees camels. She sees him. His eyes are dim. She sees very clearly. So therefore, I am inclined to the interpretation which suggests that Rebecca does not make a mistake in terms of the appropriate one for the blessing. I don't, I see that more, I'm more prone to see Rivka as being correct and Yitzchak not really understanding. But to Yitzchak's credit, when you correct Yitzchak, he understands it. When, she's, when, when she says, Canaanite women, then the, the, then the light bulb goes off in his head, you know? Oh, that's right, Canaanite women, blessing of Abraham. Okay, kach he says in 28 and 28. And El Shaddai, and Kahal Goyim, and Brikat Avraham, and all the language of chapter 17. But this in general, these are two general approaches to reading the story over here. I don't think that one approach is conclusive. I personally lean more towards the approach that Yitzhak did not initially understand the very blessing. He didn't prevent Asaph from marrying the Canaanite women. He didn't instruct Asaph not to marry the Canaanite women. So for whatever reason, you know, you could say that is a lack of understanding, or you could say perhaps the other approach would say, because Esau's not a candidate to begin with for the covenantal blessing. We don't care what Esau does. We only care what Yaakov does. Two ways to read the story. I'm not 100% sure about which is right, but there's only two ways to read it. Um, that's what we, question that was raised the last week. That's a fundamental question. Now, let me just get to one last point about uh, the blessings. Someone at what Sanrat said that basically, actually, Suri, hello, Atzalto Libracha. In the word Vayatzel, Suri points us to the story in chapter 11 of the book of Bambay Bar. And there, Moshe is told to bring the leaders of the people to the center of the camp to the Mishkan. And God says, I will take the spirit upon you. Which is, a, which is your spirit, and I will place it upon the people that come next to you, Eitzel, the one that comes together with you. The word Eitzel there means also next to, next to Moshe. And it sounds like the 70 of them, Elder and Meda don't show up. The others are somehow sharing, sharing the prophecy of Moses, sharing Moses' spirituality. Now over here in the story of Esau and Yaakov, Esau says, Father, haven't you reserved the blessing for me? Hello, Atzalto, we bracha. 
So I wanted to take a look at the blessing that Esau does receive. Then I'll stop for questions. And next week, we'll complete with chapter 28. And then we'll move to the story of Ayetze Yaakov. We'll go as far as we can get. The plan for this class is we'll go to Thanksgiving. Then there's going to be a break because I'm giving a series on, on, on Shemitah, on, the, on mm. the biblical roots of Shemitah. And then in the spring, mm. we'll continue. Rabbi we'll Silver? There okay. is. Let's look at the blessing of, of Asa uh, in uh, chapter, back to chapter 27. Rabbi Silver, just a correction. Yes. There is no, this class does not have a break. This class is going through to through December. Oh, you're right. It's your Tuesday class that has a break. Pardon Tuesday me. class has a break. My mistake. Even better. So we don't have to break. Good. I don't like the breaks. Go straight. Beautiful. Okay. Even better. Thank you for that correction. Okay. Yitzchak says to Asa, verse number 39. The first thing he says, behold, he says, your, your abode, your place, will enjoy the fat of the earth and the dew of heaven above. So the blessing that Esau receives, the first pasuk, which Esau gets his blessing, is essentially the same blessing Yaakov got. The blessing Yaakov gets is, mm-hmm. That's back in verse number 20 to 28. And here, in verse 30, uh, 39, it's essentially the same blessing. Something is interesting in the difference between the blessings and the order is different. It's fundamentally the same blessing. You could talk about a shared blessing. As the Ramban says, there's enough, there's enough, there's enough produce to share. There's enough produce in this on the on planet Earth for everybody to have to eat well. There's enough actually. The way human beings have distributed it is problematic, but there is actually enough food for everybody on Earth several times over. That's not the issue. There's enough. But what's interesting is something else which struck me about this blessing, which is talk about sharing. They can have, they both can share of God's bounty. Interesting is though, when it comes to Yaakov, Elohim, that's how it starts. Elohim should give you the following. But when it comes to Esau, there's no Vyitin Elohim, but there's something else interesting, which is Umital Hashemayim Me'al. And I wonder about that from the dew of heaven, me'al, from above. And it strikes that me'al is a reference to God. It's what Avram and Avitmachitzedek call God in chapter 14 of this book, El Elyon, that's how we start at Shemona Esri. El Elyon, the high God. And the Chumash plays with this description of God, of me'al. Because in the next verse begins, verse number 40, so, and you will live by the sword or through the sword. You will serve your brother. You'll be subservient to your brother. But when tarid, that's a difficult word to get to that. You will be able to break or to break the yoke which is around your neck. So we notice that in these two verses, the word Al appears three times. You have the Tawa Shemayim Me'al, you have Al Char and you have Ufarakta Ulo Me'al Tzavarecha. So there's something about the Al word 
which is significant, I would say in contradiction to Elohim. Now, perhaps what he's saying is that you too are under God's, you know, under God's watching over you as well. But the God who watches over Asaph and the God who watches over Jacob may be two different gods, two different descriptions of God. One is the El Elyon, which is Malkitzedek, not a Jew at all. El Elyon is one God, the highest God. And then there's the other God, which is Elohim. It might have a more, it's also a general term, but it might have, in, in the case of Yitzchak, a more specific reference, reference point. In any event, the first half of the blessing to Esau, one might say a shared blessing. You and Yaakov basically both have Mishmania Aret. When it comes to the second part, that's interesting. The second part is yes, I did say that Jacob will be Gvirli Echav, will be the master of his bro brothers, but there is a caveat. There will be a time. Kasher Tarid, get to the word Tarid in a minute, and then you will be able to break the yoke from your neck. In other words, it's essentially what the oracle said to, said, said to Rivka. The oracle said to Rivka, one nation shall be stronger than the other. The greater shall serve the younger. But on the other hand, he also said, one shall be greater than the other without describing which one is greater. And in Yitzchak's blessing, Yitzchak says, you will serve the other, but there will be times there'll be no yoke on you. Because for whatever reason, kasher tarid. Kasher tarid could mean if you suffer too much. Kasher tarid. If you suffer, that's one approach. Kasher Tarid could mean when you gain mastery. That's a different approach. The two different interpretations of the word Tarid. And uh, the Rashbam, for example, Kasher Tarid, it's interesting that Rashi and the Rashbam, it's very, very telling. They quote the same verse from the Psalms, Arid B'Sichi, Arid B'Sichi, I will, Arid B'Sichi, says the Rashbam, Rashbam, Sar, pain. So Rashbam says, if, 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 if you are in great pain, you will be able to remove the yoke. Rashi, of course, Rashi hates Esau. Rashi comments, when you will be in great pain, says Rashi, if Israel doesn't keep the Torah, then you'll be entitled to feel the pain. That's Rashi. But what's interesting is the Ramban. The Ramban essentially follows the path of the Rashbam, which is kasher Torah when you suffer. And the Ramban makes a very interesting point about the blessing to Esau. The blessing to Esau, says the Ramban, is yes, Israel will have dominion over you, provided that Israel doesn't abuse that privilege. But if Israel abuses the privilege, you will seek vengeance from Israel, and you'll be entitled to do so, and you'll be entitled to retribution. And the Ramban gives two examples of that from the Bible where Israel either did violate this, says the Ramban, or might have violated it. Might have violated it, says the Ramban, is the story in the book of Devarim and Bamidbar, when Israel was trying to get back to the land, and the, they come to the land of Edom, and they ask permission to pass through Edom. And God says to Israel, don't start trouble with Edom. 
they have their land, don't start trouble with them. And the Ramban says, don't start trouble with them means you have no right to start trouble with them. You can't just pick a fight with Edom. That's the Ramban. And the Ramban says, it comes back to this verse, if you mistreat them, you're going to pay the price. And the second example he gives, even a better example, is the story of King David's war against Edom. In the war against Edom, which is mentioned both in the book of Shmuel and Divrei Hayamim and Malachim, it says that after David fought against the Edomites, he left Yoav in the town of the Edomites, and Yoav killed many, many of the men of Edom. That's what it says both in Shmuel and it says in the Sefer Malachim and Divrei Hayamim. And it says that amongst the people, the survivors of the massacre of the Edomites by Yoav uh, was one fellow, I think it's Hadad. He's the one that runs, escapes to Egypt, and he becomes the adversary of the adversary of, um, of Shomu HaMelech. And he attempts to unseat and ends up being part of those who, who destroyed the kingship of Shomu, actually. And what's interesting is that the Medrash ties that story of the six months of, of the massacre of the Edomites to the fact that for six months, because King David reigned for 40 years, but actually if you count it up, he reigned for 40 years and six months. That the six months are not counted. Somehow he was not really in control for those six months. The Ramban actually links all that back to our verse, Vayok so in other words, the point being that actually Yitzchak's response to Esau, don't you have another blessing, Father? Isn't there something reserved for me? And Yitzchak had said, I gave away the blessing. And the way Yitzchak resolves the problem that he has is to say, there is only one blessing, but I'm giving you a portion in that blessing and in two different ways. A, the first half of the blessing, Tala Shamayin you also have that blessing, wherever you may live, Moshevecha, inside the land, outside the land, there's the blessing of prosperity. Esav is very prosperous, Esav very wealthy, actually, powerful. That's one blessing. As far as the second half is concerned, of your brother will be the Gavir. So that, okay, that's true, but that has to be qualified. If, he, if Israel behaves itself properly within the appropriate, you know, limitations, that's a very If they step out of line, however, you will be able to break the yoke. I'll just have one last thought, and I'll stop and take a couple of comments, and that is, This was the blessing of that Yaakov gives, that Yaakov receives from his father, pretending to be Esau. Right? Standing, I'm Esau, your firstborn, the word gavir is an interesting word, actually. And it appears at a very significant place in the Torah. We'll come back to this later, because it's very important. Where we have the word gimel bet resh, gavir, or gavar. And that's the war against Amalek. Torah says when Israel was fighting Amalek, by Amalek, the Torah says, when Moses would raise up his hands to heaven, the gavar Yisrael. But when his hands were put, when he put down his hands, Amalek would be winning, the Gavar Amalek. And that picks up on the Gavir. 
That's what the Midrashim are picking up. Yes, you'll be a Gavir if you behave yourself. But if you misbehave, if you're unworthy of the blessing, then the Gavir goes to the other side. Then then Esau will, 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 will be victorious. That's Amalek, Esau's grandson. So that's the Amalek story. We'll get to this later in, in, much, in a much deeper way. The Amalek story is coming out of, among other things, the story of Esau and Yaakov. So let me stop at this point. So what we discussed today was two ways to read the story. I'll leave it up to you to decide what you like better. Uh, we got more into the complexity of the story, the nature of the two blessings, the sympathetic picture the Torah gives us of Esau over here. This is a sympathetic picture. We'll continue next week with the uh, blessing that Yitzchak gives Yaakov as he sends him out of the land, some other details here of Yitzchak and Rivka, and that will set up Yaakov's leaving the land by Yitzchak Yaakov. How far we're going to get, I don't know. There's, there's so much here. We can spend a lot of time on it. But I'll take comments or questions now. We have a couple of minutes. So, if I, if I may. Yes. So the, I, I, I think the question of the divisibility of the Bechorah is one that's crucial here, but I, I think it also plays out as it plays out with the other Avot as well. So Abraham in particular was very careful to send everyone away and give matanot to the other sons and kept everything for Yitzchak. Yes. Yaakov at the other end divides it up, as you said, but he, he not only removes it from Reuven and gives it to Yosef, but he gives the dynastic one to Yehuda. Yes. And the question of the priestly part, he doesn't, he's, he's rejected Levi, but that he's overruled later. And okay. so, this is a something that's playing out and i'd i'd like to see it also when asav sells the bechorah i'd like to say that there's evidence that he is thinking of that bechorah as the priestly function and you can read it into the from the amalek story that the pasuk if you continue a elohim so of course, I'm definitely connected. So, I, I think and, that and, must yes, be yes. and this is midah connected midah. That for sure, we'll, we'll deal with that at length. Right. Let me get okay, back to but, your first point, though. Okay, but that's also the point that the for the selling of the bechorah there can be seen as the priestly part, Possibly. because Esav was not Yirei Elohim, and he didn't care about that. Payiva is at the bechorah, but he cared about the other part. That's a possibility. I mean, I think we have to remember over here in Sefer Breshit is that in terms of Avram and Yitzchak, the question is, there's only one person selected. In other words, Yaakov's, Yaakov's mission, as he sees it, is to build the family, that we call the Bayit. And that, that means to build a structure which everybody has a, has a part. Not all equal parts, but everybody's part of the same family. That's, that's the precursor to the nation. When it comes to the first two of all, Abraham and Yitzvah, only one can be chosen. There is only one that can be chosen over here. There's no sharing. It's either Yitzvah or Yishmael. It's either Yaakov or Eser. That's not to say the others don't have a blessing, but they don't have the covenantal blessing. That's for sure. So that's a very important point, and that will play itself out as far as, as, far as the second point. 
that the Amalek story picks up on the Ayefi Ageya and all that, that's true in space, and we'll see more of that as well. That's an incredibly important point. That, and I, I would try to just try to give it hopefully an elegant uh, definition of, of exactly how to, how to understand that. We'll, we'll get to that later on. Um, so thank you for those comments, and we will we'll, we'll revisit that for sure. If you're, if you're willing to read it in favor this this story here in favor of Yitzchak rather than Rivka then you could say that Yitzhak is attempting to make a division of the of the bracha of, of the Bechora. That's true. You could he doesn't succeed. He doesn't succeed, but that was his plan. Right now, Rebecca Rivka knows that it can't be shared because that's what the oracle says. The two are in conflict. They can't right. be shared, actually. Right. So Rivka right. knows something that Yitzhak does not know. Right. And over right. here, he's trying in some way to have some kind of a sharing arrangement of some sort or other. Yeah. That's a good point. But Rivka knows it can't be shared because she's told. She's told straight out. The two can't share one blessing. That's not true of Yaakov later. Yaakov, Yaakov's life is about sharing the blessing. But of course, there are problems with sharing the blessing. People have to be able to get along with each other. And one set of brothers tries to kill another. That's not going to work well. I'll pick up this point next week about the sharing of blessings. There's another story we haven't spoken about, which is the back backdrop to the story over here, but I'll, I'll get to that next week. Um, okay, I'll take one last comment. Wendy? Okay. Uh, this may be simplistic, but in a certain sense... I can't hear when you speak up. ...spends the rest of his life being exiled from the land. He left, I mean, personally... Yes. Not his descendants, but personally. First, he had to leave because of his mother's fear of um, of of uh, Esau. And then, at the end of his life, he's driven from the land by famine. That's true. And he doesn't spend and he doesn't get to dwell in the land with joy and with with with, with, with wonderful inheritance. That's true. That's 100% true. That's a very significant so point. Personally. Story of the, yes. the story of the Chumash is about being outside the land. This could be looked at as a punishment for the stealing the blessing, although the nationality went with huh? his, his descendants rather than Esau's. Okay, yeah, well, we will certainly discuss that. That's a central point of the book, clearly so. And one more, Yael, you want to say something? Yes. You're muted. Speak up. Can you? You're muted. Yell, um, Monsieur. You're muted now. Speak okay, up. Now. Well, yes, better. A very simple observation. If we didn't have all these complications, we wouldn't be reading these books today, these stories today. I mean, you know, the stories are told in a totally un, you know, not you know, Vayelech, Vayakum, Vayelech, Vayeshev, and so on and so forth. But all these complications make it fascinating. I mean, look how many years that we're reading and, and thinking and writing about it. Clearly, right. They're very complicated. People are complicated. That's all right, it. we will continue next week with this, with this and uh, just move straight forward. Straight forward. Very good. Thank you all. Looking forward. Any questions, you want to send me a, in the, my email is dc. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, then. All right. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And our next class is with Rabbi Silver this coming Tuesday at 8 p.m.
on prayer and if you are interested in it, if you are interested you can catch up on the recordings on drisha.org slash live